Hustle fam, hustle fam, we are back, welcome to the show um, In light of everything that's going on in our country, I felt that it was important that, uh, you know, we do something a little bit different for today's show I invited a friend of mine who's been a police officer in Camden, New Jersey for the last 10 years um, Camden at one time was considered the most dangerous city in the United States And, um, you know, it's crazy because uh, with everything going on right now in our country, they've been able to um, together the law enforcement and the citizens of Camden um, have been able to lead some peaceful protests um, in the streets that have really been productive for everybody um, involved. So I wanted to bring my friend on Andre Cotton to talk about that and just talk about what's going on, his perspective as a black officer. Um, during these times So I hope that you gain some value from this conversation I want to take a moment right now Before we move forward To say rest in peace To George Floyd um, Breonna Taylor Philando Castile um, Ahmaud Arbery um, So many names I could mention That have lost their lives To police brutality to evil, um, and, you know, I just want to take a time, a time out real quick and just recognize them and, and take a brief moment of silence before we move forward. Rest in peace, y'all. Listen, Hustle fam, we got a lot of work ahead of us, um, I hope that, you know, the days ahead of us are better than the ones that are behind us. And I'm going to keep on doing my best to try to inspire you and and share the information and, and, and keep it positive and keep pushing forward. All right. I love y'all. Um, put your ears on. If you smell something burning, it's only a desire. Let's go. What's up, y'all? This is Ramel Watley, and welcome to Truck and Hustle, the podcast for trucking entrepreneurs. If you want to learn about the trucking industry from the business side of things, you're in the right place. Every week, I interview the people who are making it happen on a daily basis. I get them to share their successes, their failures, and sometimes even their secrets. The goal is to show you how you too can create financial freedom in the booming trucking industry. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. That's not even a move in the academy, okay, to put your knee on someone's neck when they're face down. That and you got two other officers holding him down in the back end, and you got another officer that's just standing there watching. They all should be charged with murder. Turn my mic up. For you. Take there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the road to the riches. Life takes a toll like bridges. Good friends become foes and snitches. Better watch who knows in your business. We are back. Welcome to the show. Um, so as everybody's aware, man, we are going through an extremely difficult time um, right now in our country. Um, you know, and, you know, I felt that it would be uh, a disservice to you guys to just do a, a one of our typical shows where we talk about finances and, and um, you know, things of that nature and, and the trucking business, because obviously that's important. Um, but, um, you know, I wanted to have a dialogue about what's going on right now. So I, I contacted a friend of mine 
um, who's in law enforcement. Um, my brother Andre Cotton is on 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 allow with me today. Um, I've known I've known Dre for about what ten years, at least at least at, at, at least ten years. Um, I met Dre back in my in my workout days. Man, he used to bust my ass every day. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a group of us, man. We would work out, and um, he he was he was a trainer. You know what I'm saying? Dre was our trainer, man. He went hard in the gym, and um, you know after that, um, we worked together on some um, some things in the community. Um, he's always been extremely active in the community with uh his businesses he could tell you about that as we go into the podcast but i wanted to bring him on he's he's currently um a law enforcement officer in the city of camden camden um which is if if you guys don't know um camden is probably considered maybe the most dangerous city in new jersey top Um, 10 top 10 10, right at, at one time it was probably the most dangerous city in the united states murder capital back in 1982 Right, right. 1982, the murder capital. So um, things have uh, gotten progressively better, I guess, in Camden. But I mean, obviously, there's still challenges, um, you know, so I just wanted to have this dialogue with um, with, with my friend, um, you know, Dre, because I, I wanted to get his perspective on what's going on, um, you know, being on the front lines, um, being in law enforcement and, and just let him add some value to what's going on right now. So so, Drake, thank you for joining us today on the show, man. I really appreciate no it. No doubt. No doubt. God's blessings to everyone. Thanks for everyone for listening. And hopefully I can shed some light and give some enlightenment on what's happening right now today. No doubt, man. We appreciate it. So um, just to kind of get started, man, what 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 got you into law enforcement to, to begin with? Uh, to begin with, um, you know, my background basically was in mental health. I worked in mental health for over 15 years and uh, got kind of burnt out doing that, helping people uh, with severe uh, mental disabilities all the way up to moderate, got burnt out. And my brother, who's actually in law enforcement over in Pennsylvania, uh, needed a partner because his partner had uh, retired. So he kind of asked me, he needed someone to rely on. He asked me and I went through the academy, got trained up for three months in the academy, got my certifications in firearm certifications and uh, OC spray certification and hands on uh, force level of force. Uh, all those things that all those tangible things that come in with law enforcement. And next thing you know, I had a badge and I was riding around the city of Pittsburgh and licensed and certified to be a law enforcement officer in the state of Pennsylvania first. So you started in Pennsylvania. Okay. Right. Then after a few years over there, uh, after five years, kind of, uh, wanted to come back home, uh, had some children, wanted to basically lay down my roots back home again. And, found out there was an opening in uh, Camden County. Um, That's when they had did the switch over from Camden City Metro over into Camden County. So I put in some paperwork and next thing you know, I was in law enforcement and with the uh, city of Camden, but the city of Camden is under the umbrella of Camden County. Got you. Got you. So, Being new in law enforcement, how, how long have you been in law enforcement total, total years now? 
Uh, it's going on 10 years now. 10 years now. All right. So 10 years ago, just getting started out um, a- a- as a new officer, what are the things that they're, they, wh- what are they telling you? What are they preparing you for? Because you're working, well, you started in Pittsburgh, but, and mm-hmm. Pittsburgh isn't the greatest city either. You know what I mean? No. You know, they, they have their challenges as well. But exactly. let, let's talk about coming into Camden, right? Um, what are some of the things that um, they, they, they prepare you for to work in the city um, in Camden as a law enforcement officer? Uh, well, they, they start off with, of course, um, you have to know the law, okay? They, they tell you about um, everything from traffic violations and then going into municipal ordinances, such as drug possession, um, things like uh, prostitution, um, all the way down to jaywalking, to little civil ordinances, okay? Those are the simple things that they start off telling you about. Then they go into about how to handle different altercations. They teach you things like, it's called verbal judo. Um, Verbal judo is something that they teach you on how to de-escalate or um, how to talk to individuals the right way without making the situation bigger than what they are. Okay, got you. So what about what about some of the mindset things? Because I mean, I think a lot of people may feel as though um, when 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 an officer um, starts in the or in the academy or when he, he joins the law enforcement, um, it, it's like us against them. It, it, do, you, do you feel like it's that kind of mentality when you first get started? No, no, I don't, because it, what you bring into the academy, what you bring into the the profession of law enforcement is what you're raised with, is what you are, is what your village has taught you. I talk about uh, plenty of times the village that raises a child. Okay, so those things are things that you bring with you in any profession. Okay. I bring along the things that my father has taught me. I brought I brought the things along that my mother's taught me. I brought the things that the, I bring the things that the village has brought with me. You, my brother, are part of my village. So yeah. the things that we have been through together are the things that I have brought into the academy and that learning that way of lifestyle is the way that I that I bring things into my work profession. So that's how it started off like that. So it's it's very it's very individualized when it comes to a profession, especially in a profession of law enforcement. Now understand this: when a person comes into any profession, and now we're talking about law enforcement, it's those things that they bring into that type of profession. You see, if you bring in a mindset, oh, I'm here to protect and serve the community. How are you going to protect and serve the community? What has your village taught you to protect and serve the community? Do you hold life in a higher standard? As we can see, as what happened on Monday, that officer did not hold life to a high standard. You see what I mean? His village taught him that. You understand? His right. village is the one that says, okay, life doesn't mean anything, uh, especially from a black person. Got you. Got you. you. Have you have you ever seen anybody use um, those type of tactics or those type of restraints before 
um, in, 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 in your years in law enforcement to, to <laughs> restrain somebody? Is that even yeah. something that's taught? No, that that is we are taught in the academy. First of all, I've never seen that before. I've never seen that before. That use of force at all in my years of law enforcement and in the academy, they teach you um, about the use of force. Okay. About proper holds, where your knees should go, where your hands should go, where you should stand, where you should stand and cover when you're covering another police officer. Okay. And during the years that I've been there, every year things have changed. Right. Use of force has changed. Okay. Back 10 years ago, chokeholds were okay. Okay. Eight years ago, chokeholds were not okay. Okay. There are uh, ways to use your baton. Okay. When you strike someone with a baton, that has changed. You can't strike people with, in the joints anymore with a baton. Okay. You see, so things, 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 what, what different organizations that sanction police, police departments, they go through and they say, okay, this has to change now because of what happened or transpired before. Mm. You see what I mean? So the new officer that come in after, after eight years is not doing that anymore. Things change after eight years. So that officer that has six years on a job is not going to see what that eight-year officer had because things have changed. Right, right. You see what I mean? So different holes have changed. Different ways of engaging with the public has changed. New ideas have come in. You understand what I'm saying? This man been on the job for over 15 years. He had 18 violations. You see what I mean? So. So the the you're talking about the man who who killed George Floyd. Right. It's the culture of that police department that has allowed that to transpire. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. After 18 violations, that culture and that police department allows that to happen. My culture in Camden Police, you get one time, you the second time, you're done. Mm, you're fired. Right. You're, you're done. Okay. You know, now, 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 now these are violations of, of brutality. What, what, what constitutes a violation? It, 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 it's going, it's the level of force that's, that's used after an internal affairs investigation. Okay. Okay. And they, they will see, okay. We are here live at OTR Solutions HQ. I'm here with my partner, Jonathan, man, listen, factoring is an integral part of the transportation industry. Why is factoring important? Absolutely, Ramel. In this economy, in this market, cash flow is king. Cash flow is the key to growth. If you have a young trucking company or if you've been in the industry for years and you want to take that business to the next level, we're absolutely a company that can help. So I hope you'll give us a call today. Let us know what we can do to help you out. Get the rest and roll with the best. Let's go. The use of force was okay during the situation or the use of force was, wasn't done right. And, you know, you violated this person's uh, rights. Now, is that, is that type of um, investigation standard with every single arrest or how does the eternal, uh, eternal affairs get involved? Every, every single arrest, because now in this day and age, we have body cams. Okay. So that camera 
and you're not you, you don't really you don't do arrest on your own so there's another assisting officer that's there with another body cam and they see what's going on okay okay and everybody cam is evaluated and assessed by another higher up officer whether it's a sergeant lieutenant captain or even a chief and right. that's in, and that and that's in every department gotcha that's that standard procedure that that gotcha. body cam is 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 looked over and seen what's happening so how is there even that much of a disparity between police departments where you could like you said two violations determinate in the officer and you could you could have a guy who has 18 violations that 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 pretty much go unchecked. How is that even possible? I mean, who is governing all of this to make sure that there's some type of consistency um, in, in the way the officers are disciplined? Like I said before, it is the culture. You see, the culture of the police department and the culture of the people that govern that police department. You understand? Let's let's put it as an example like this. We have a family, okay? We have a family, we have a mother, we have a father, we have children, we have aunts, and we have uncles, okay? And in that family, you have someone that robbed banks. Right. And no one says anything about the bank robbers, okay? And they allow that to happen. For generations, this happens. This bank robberies happen and happen and happen, okay? That's the culture of that family. You understand what I'm saying? So right. for 18 violations over his 15 year span, that's the culture of that police department. Now, let's go back to the example with the family. Now, there might be some cousins in that family who say, hey, I don't bank rob. You know what I mean? I don't do anything wrong, but the culture still exists in that family. Mm. You see what I mean? Right. So if the culture still exists and no one is there to extinguish their culture, it's going to continue. So it doesn't matter whether that culture is in Atlanta, that culture is in California, or that culture is in Minnesota. If it exists and no one stops it, it's going to continue. That's a fact. And, and then this is what you get. <laughs> you see? Because people won't stand for people robbing banks. Someone's going to say something and someone's going to stand up for it. Right. Saying right. we're not going to allow you to rob banks because you're hurting us. Right. You see? What about what about the other four officers? Um, well, it was four total, I believe, right? It was four, yes, four total. total. <laughs> so the other three officers that stood by, um, what do you think their responsibility in this situation is? Do you think they should be held as accountable um, as the officer who actually um, put his knee on um, George Floyd's neck? Or what's your opinion of what they did, their, their position? Uh, they should be held accountable just like he should. That's, that's my position on it. And that's what I, that's my God's honest opinion that they should be held in the same standard as he was because we are taught as officers that if some officer is going too far, we are to relieve that officer. We are to pull that officer and say, we got this now, especially when there's three other officers there. Another officer should have stood it, came up, be like, hey, we got this now. You can you can be relieved because you're going too far. Right. 
And that's not to we we wouldn't we wouldn't blurt that out, yell it out. Hey, you're going too far. We right. say, come on, my, somebody would grab him with force and say, come on, let's you know pull him off and say, hey, this is this is we got this now. Everything right. is okay. Right. You know what I mean. And then later on, once everything has died down and we start writing reports, we I know I would, in my opinion, be like, hey, you went too far. You tell me why you went that far. Right. And if I don't think that you're justified in going that far, I'm reporting you. Right. Right. What did you I'm, think? What, what, what did you think when you first saw that that video, when that video first first surfaced? What, what went through your head? First of all, I was horrified that no one would do anything to help this man, even in the recording of people standing around. I understand that there is a certain idea about policing and police officers that you can't engage them in a certain time. But when life is on the line and you see that life is on the line, I would have jumped in, whether I was a police officer or not a police officer. You know, I was, it it hurt my heart to see the man's life being taken away from him. And I was very upset as not just a police officer, but as a black man to actually see a televised lynching. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Let, 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 let's talk about that. Being a black police officer, mm-hmm. how, do you feel as, as at, at any times as though it's a conflict of interest? Like, does that ever cross your mind when you start, when you got into um, law enforcement, did it ever cross your mind? Like, man, being a black man, being a cop, you know, it, it's a con- did, did you ever feel that way? Uh, of course I'm human. Okay. And mm-hmm. In this society, the way the way that I've been raised, the, the things that history has taught me, you know, and and knowing that history repeats itself and knowing what my people have been through, of course, I feel some type of way about my black people. But I also, as a professional, took took this job, took this profession to know that there is no uh, cultural bias into what I'm doing, okay? I have to protect and serve, whether we're talking about a hostile Asian woman, we're talking about a belligerent Russian man, or we're talking about an African-American prostitute. My job is to protect and serve, okay? Obviously, I am Black, and I hold my culture and my blackness to a high standard, okay? But I, I, I have to put that all aside and keep my profession, my professionalism of what I do as a police officer to that degree. Got you. P- prior to um, getting into law enforcement, did you, did you ever as a civilian um, ever have an encounter with an officer that was... Uh, I guess let's say less less than favorable. Oh yes, yes, uh, yes, I have. Tell me about tell me about tell me about one. Uh, back um, in my, I guess my 
teenage years, 16, 17, just receiving my driver's license, I had uh, gotten a ticket for not having a seatbelt. And the seatbelt ticket was never paid. I never paid it. It wound up suspending my license. So what happened was in the area where I lived at, which was predominantly white, um, the police officer was kind of like staking my house out, waiting for me. Because there was times I drove, yeah. knowing that I had a, knowing that my license was suspended. Right. I still would drive. But, you know, who would worry about a suspended driver's license? This guy would. Right. And he would, time and time again, he'd be right there. Sometimes I'd be walking down the street, the same white police officer would like, come up, like, oh, I see you walking today. And it's like, you know, out of all the things that you can do, you right here, <laughs> right about a 17-year-old walking. And, you know, after, you know, talking to my father, who is an older guy, he was like, oh, he's targeting you. You know, he's only doing that because you're black. And I'm, I'm, I am um, kind of uh, using other words than what my father would kind of <laughs> right, say. Right, right, right. For sure, for sure. You know what I mean? So yeah. that, was my, that was one situation that I had where I felt that, you know, being young and black, that I was being targeted. Right. Got you. Got you. Um, what, what is the ratio of, of black to white officers um, in Camden? Do you know? Uh, I really don't. I don't know. I see. I see a lot of black officers, a lot of Hispanic officers. Okay. A lot of Hispanic officers because Camden is a. There is the African American, but there are a lot of Hispanic and Mexican, Guatemalan type of uh, individuals that live in Camden. So, do you you feel as though it's pretty diverse as far as? So you feel it's pretty diverse as far as law enforcement? Okay. Yes, yes, I do. Very, very diverse. Very diverse. Uh, so that's in Camden, but on a larger scale, um, there's probably more white police than black police. Would you say that? I wouldn't know, but according when we see these videos, who do we always see? Right. We see the white police officers taking down African Americans. So that would make it that would make one think right. that that there are more white police officers than black police officers. Yeah, I, I should have probably pulled up some um, some data and, and checked that out. But um, I'm kind of segwayed into, into this question. Why do you think um, more black or brown people don't get into law enforcement? Well, um, sometimes it's a matter of, you know, the way that they were raised, you know, with the whole I'm not a snitch or I'm not going to cross over to that side, you know, that element. It, it, it plays plays into it. Um, and sometimes, you know, it, it is a job, you know, and uh, the pay is not that great when you start off. Right. The pay is not that great, you know. So it takes a few years in order to get uh, uh, the right kind of pay. But, you know, you, we're also talking about the benefits of being uh, working for the county or for the state or for the city, they go a long way. Healthcare, pension, those type of things play into it, you know? Right. Do, do, is there any, is there anybody or, um, like actively recruiting, um, in the black community? Like, are there any groups like uh, a, a black police, police officers union or anything like that, that you know of? No, I don't know anything. I know that they do go out and, you know, when they have, uh, 
the employment, employee fairs and things like that at the different schools and everything, they are out at that time, you know? Yeah. So there, I don't see anyone like going out into the community and trying to recruit, you know, black men or Hispanic men, you know, there, there is, there, there are officers that say, Hey, you might want to be, you know, look into being an officer there once in a while you might have, uh, a young man or a young lady say, oh, how do I become a police officer, you know? And right. you know, we, we let them know there are a few ways how to get in to be in, into law enforcement. Do you think that that may be a, a, a part of the solution? Maybe if, if, if it was, you know, more integrated, there were, there, there were more blacks, um, more, more, more brown people in the, in, in the force that it will possibly, we, we may have less of these type of issues. Or do you think the mindset would it, it doesn't matter because it still depends on the mindset. Yes, it doesn't matter who, if you do recruit into the, the different minority type of neighborhoods, you know, I think it's the culture of what you bring in or what's there in that department already. Mm. You know, if you have, even if you have an all black, uh, all black or all Hispanic, type of department but say they want to run narcotics you know what type of department is that right you know what happens if you get an all black at that say okay it's all right to have prostitution rings and things like that which has happened years and years and years uh in the camden police department Mm. years ago back in the 70s when they were doing stuff like that you know got you you know it's like you have to bring in a new type of thinking, a new type of chief, which we have right now, you know, and our chief before, the, our chief, this, the present chief, they didn't stand for anything like that. Mm. You know, our culture was, they they say, you know, all, all the police cars and everything you see uh, to protect and serve. Okay. Our motto was, and our motto is right now, service before self. Okay. That's what we say in Camden. Service so, before. Self. So he, the the new chief, actually changed that motto. It was it no, was no. He, he he continued that, but the chief before him is the one that implemented that. Oh, okay, got you, got mm-hmm. you, got you, got mm-hmm. you. Okay, okay, got you. Um, what is the current scene in in Camden right now with everything going on? Uh, the current scene in Camden is is police officers and the community have joined together, and if you go to uh, Camden County's Facebook page, you'll see our chief walking with the community in protest. Right. Okay. You see him and it's for solidarity. Yeah. Okay. We are out in the community. We have done things. We have done block parties, uh, barbecues all the way from, from that to doing uh, backpack drives and all kind of stuff for the community. We are in the community. We are part of the community. Who 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 initiated that? And um, was everybody in the precinct on the same page with that? Did you see like everybody want to want to kind of jump in and say, "Man, we are we are with the people. We need to go out here and 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 walk with the people and show them that we're we're all together and united on this." It it it, it comes from our higher ups, our chief, our deputy chief. Our, our lieutenants, our captains, they instill that in us to go out in the community, to be part of the community, talk to people, to get out of your cars, to get on a walk, 
you know, say, speak to people, you know, don't be standoffish. You know, that's, that's, that's what our culture is about. Right. Right. For sure. So, I mean, in in your opinion, um, when it comes to police brutality, um, what needs to happen in order to stop it? What, what, what are the first, what are the steps that need to be taken um, from your perspective that need to stop, that we need to stop police brutality? You have to, you have to hold those officers. You have to hold those officers accountable. You have to hold the officer that is involved and all those officers that are around him that is on scene of that incident. Okay. You have to hold those people in eternal affairs. You have to hold them. They have to be accountable for the decisions that they make. Okay. They can't let it just slide. You know, they can't let it just happen. They have to do something about it and continue and continue to do things about it. You have to get those people out of that uniform. They cannot be in that uniform anymore. One time. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. one, One time it happens. Okay. You tell me what happened. Did you lose your head? Did some, you know, if the explanation is good enough, okay, if it happens twice, all right, let's get some help for this officer. If it happens three times, then you know what? There's no help in him. Mm. You see, there has to be, there has to be one accountability. And then two, the, if you know that this person shouldn't be on the street and he's the, he done did this three times, then he shouldn't be in that uniform anymore. He right. shouldn't be a representative of our department because what happens is once that person does it, then it looks, it's a blemish on the whole department and the community will see or think that you know, the whole department's like that. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so when you say accountable, um, what, what do you think um, and specifically with, with, with George Floyd's um, case, um, you know, because I mean, there's plenty of cases. We've seen this movie before, so we could talk about so many cases. But what do you think should happen to that to those to those officers? Oh, they should be charged with murder. Okay, they should be charged with murder. They they killed this man, you know, and it was excessive force. And we don't, they don't even teach that move <laughs> in right. the academy. That even that's not even a move in the academy. Right. Okay, to put your knee on someone's neck when they're face down. That and you got two other officers holding him down in the back of him, and you right. got another officer that's just standing there watching. They all should be charged with murder. Now, they, they, they I believe the uh, the um, it's third degree murder, right? That third they're degree. he's being charged with now, and some type of manslaughter. Yeah, third degree um, uh, murder, and they got him for manslaughter. Now, a third degree. A murder charge is someone that is charged with murder for killing someone, but done in an accidental way. You see, it's like going into someone's house and they scare you and you shoot them. Right. And that was an accident. You killed them on accident. Right. This, This was not an accident. So, I mean, I mean, ultimately right now with the direction this is headed and he's being charged with the wrong thing. He's being charged with the wrong thing, but I do understand why the prosecutor is 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 going after this because it's a it's basically a slam dunk. Okay. He is basically a slam dunk. He's going to get twenty five in, in Minnesota. I believe is twenty five years. 
Okay. So it's basically a slam dunk. They can get they can get him on twenty five years. It would cause a lengthier trial, and there could be some. We don't like the judicial system is something that I really don't understand the whole ins and outs of it when it comes to going to trial and having a case and everything like that. So lawyers have a way of finding loopholes, Mm. you know? So when it comes to a first degree or second degree, or even a third degree, you don't want to leave nothing to chance, especially when a prosecutor says I'm going after this. So that's why I believe he went after third degree and the manslaughter because it's really a slam dunk. Got you. So if they would have charged him with the first degree, it's a possibility they could have charged that there was an, in, they could have figured out a way to make it say it wasn't intentional. And then exactly. he would be getting off scotch-free. He would have, he would and right. And all you need is to show one juror, which I don't understand why even if, why even had to go to grand jury, you know, this was, it was shown on video. Right. <laughs> it could have, you could have just went to a judge and be like, yo, this is the case. But what we're in now, we have to go. For, I understand the prosecutor. He went for the slam dunk. Got you. Got you. What about the Breonna Taylor um, case? Do you do you know? Have you been following that as well, Dre? Yeah. Under I, from what I've uh, gathered, she they these officers went into uh, her place, her residence, and uh, it was a a body warrant that they were going into, and they went to the wrong address, and. Um, you know, there's there's some factors that I don't know, which is being said now, like they announced themselves. Some people saying they did announce didn't announce themselves, you know, and they, you know, on a body warrant, you all you have to do is is once you enter a residence, because you're going in for a body. Okay, you're looking for that person. Okay. So you can break the door down if you believe that person's in there. But you have to announce yourself. Right. You know, you well, announced yourself. I believe they said they had a no-knock warrant, which they could have just broken the door down, correct? I, I right. thought they could, they could, they could, but they, they still said they the announced themselves. Right. You once you you can break the door down, but you still have to announce yourself. Mm. You see, I can kick a door down on a body warrant. Okay. And say, came the police, or like I'm not in that role, but when I was in that role as uh, a law enforcement in Pennsylvania, we would kick the door in and say, Pennsylvania State Constables, we're here for such and such, come on out. Right. You yell that, you scream that, you know, because anyone could knock on the door and kick it down, Mm. you know, and someone kicked in my door and they don't announce themselves, okay, you know what you're going to get. Right, right. (laughs) And that's pretty much what happened, right? So um, the the her her boyfriend, I'm not sure, I, I think it was her boyfriend. It was boyfriend. It was they the said boyfriend. that he shot first and then they yeah, started shooting, went, right? Right. They he he initiated fire and they returned fire. Got you. They returned you. fire. How, how how do you how do you deal with those type of high pressure situations um in law enforcement? Um, you know, when when you're just, you know, you don't know what could happen next. What what's what's your mindset going into a situation like that as an officer? Right. Well, I'm not I'm not in that role anymore. But when I was in that role, it it goes with the people that you go in with. Okay, one person was my brother, of course. You know what I mean? So there's a level of comfort there. Another guy who we who he worked with for three years, I got to know him. 
we worked together for four years. So the level of comfort of guys who you work with, okay, makes your, makes your mindset to say, okay, I'm okay. Of course, there's always, you always say the what if. What if I get shot? What if I encounter someone? What if I have to return fire? What if I kill someone? And I've never had, I never killed anyone. I haven't drawn my weapon on people. Okay. And I have shot before, but I've never killed anyone. Okay. So, but those type of, those type of things enter into your mind before you go in. But what happens is what, what, what makes you comfortable is the guys that you work with and you game plan. Okay. You say, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And we question each other. We say, this is how, is this going to happen or is this going to happen? If this happens and this happens, we know that person who we're going to go get, okay? We know who's in that house when we get ready to go into that house, okay? And our level of training that we have uh, comes into play, okay? Because it's not just a, a three-month academy that we attend. We always go out and we do scenarios as a team, because we were a team then, we go out and do scenarios, we do training on our own. Right. You know, you get to know the people who you work with. And that that happens. I see that happen a lot at this department where I'm at now with the younger guys that go out, with the sergeants that go out with them, with the lieutenants that train them, with the captains that are on board. They make sure that these guys know each other. Mm. You know, and it's such a family atmosphere. It's kind of like you wouldn't you wouldn't think it would happen because the police officers now that are in Camden are a younger group. They're a younger group. The older guys are the sergeants and the lieutenants, you know, but the younger guys and the younger ladies are the ones that's out on the street. And they have they have a better understanding of the street because of that age. You know, but they have a level of professionalism that I see. It's like, man, these guys are all right, man. These mm. guys are going to be okay. Yeah. You know, they talk with each other. There's no, there's no click. You know what I mean? They like each other. You right. know what I mean? There's right. a camaraderie with them. You right. know, they they joke with each other, and then they have a level of like, okay, jokes is over. Let's get this right. Mm. Because what my motto was as being a law enforcement officer coming up is let's make sure we all go home tonight. Right. Right. Got you. So, so for the most part in, um, in Camden where you're at, it's been pretty peaceful in regards to this situation. Yes. yes. Okay. So, but what you're seeing in other cities all across the U S is not so peaceful. Um, Chicago, no, Atlanta, um, LA, um, what do you, what goes to your mind when you see that and you see how um, police are handling those situations out there? What goes to my mind is that there is a culture in that police department that has warrant, warranted these type of protests. Just like that has transpired in Minneapolis, it has transpired in Los Angeles, it has transpired in Chicago. It has transpired in Atlanta, as we can see with the Aubrey case. Right. Had, things have transpired there. That's why that that's why that civil unrest has happened in those major cities. Yeah, because I mean it's 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 pretty interesting. Like 
um, you know, like like we talked about, Camden is 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 known as a dangerous city. You know what I mean? But to see, um, you know, you guys marching <laughs> together, yeah, the police, right. the police, and and the citizens of Camden, you 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 can't directly correlate it to um, the the city and the the danger of the city and the police. You know what I'm saying? It's it's not right, the same. Right. It has to it has to be something else that's going on there. And and if I just keep repeating myself over and over again, it's the culture. And Camden City, Camden County Police Department has become part of Camden City's village. They help in raising those kids. They help in making that city part of the village. Mm. You see, they're not a negative part of the village. They're a positive part of the village. Right. And that's why you see police officers and our chief of police marching with the citizens of Camden. Mm. But do you see the, the, the chief of police marching in those other cities? No. no right. Cause somebody would probably throw a rock at him, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or say, Hey, there's the, there's the chief of police, go get him. You know what right. I mean? So, you know, those type of things, which should, which should happen, which should happen. You understand everything that's happening, those things that we see in Camden be like, wow, why is that happening in Camden? Should be happening in Los Los Angeles. It should be happening in Atlanta. It should be happening in Dallas. All those major cities. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But it's it's just not like you said that um, there's that undertone of of unrest, you know, and and it's almost as if... um, the, the opportunity is now to really just get off your chest, what you've been holding in for so long. You know what I mean? Right. It only, it only takes one person to, to start something. And, and if that one person has an audience, it's going, as we see, it, 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 it's went around the whole country. Right. What do you think about people who say that, um, you know, there's people in law enforcement in, in, in those particular places that are actually, you know, setting up, uh, putting bricks in certain places to have people grab them and, 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 and other people coming in from, you know, different groups to, to basically cause the unrest and right, blame it right. on the black people. What do you think about that? Right. Well, those type of people, th- those type of people exist. Okay. They're, those are the, 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 the catalyst that wants to try to add fuel to the fire. Okay. And they exist and there's really nothing that you can do about that, you know, because what, what has happened is again, they allowed that, they allowed that to happen in that department. They allow, they, they say that that's okay. That's part of their culture to have that minion, you know, to sit there and put a rock where they know that a uncivilized, irrational protester will find it. You know what I mean? So it's like that 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 happens, you know, and it, it's a shame that as as a protester, you know, they can't keep themselves from being irrational. You right. know, but right. but we but I I have I understand why the civil unrest. I do understand. Right. right. I wish it wouldn't happen that the looting and people are getting hurt, you know, um, uh, businesses are being hurt, businesses are being uh, torn down and, and, and put on fire. I wish that wouldn't happen, you know, but, you know, 
the catalyst for all this is is something that happened in Minneapolis. For sure, for sure. Um, as as an officer, is there anything that you see um, that that citizens of, of 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 different communities can do to make the I guess the relationship between the citizens and the officers better, or do you think who who, who do you think um, sets the tone for that relationship? Do you think it's the officer or do you think it's the citizen? How, how do you feel about that as, as far as this day-to-day engagements? It, it has to be, it has to be a group thing and it has to be a one mindset. Okay. And those type of things, when those type of things are talked out on the table, let's lay all the cards out on the table. You, you tell me what your expectations are. I'll tell you what my expectations are. And let's come to a common ground. We have to talk. We have to have dialogue. There has to be a common ground. And it's something that has to continue. It just can't be one talk. It has to be a talk with us. And then when the next group of officers, the next group of chiefs, the next group of lieutenants come in, the new residents that come in, you know what I mean? With the residents' children that might be the next group, next neighborhood, those di- that dialogue has to continue. Mm. It cannot stop in, in 2020. Yeah. It has to continue in 2030. It has to continue and, and, and change for the better in 2035. Right. We have to continue. We have to set, we have to set a pattern of behavior between both sides to continue this. How do you have, how do you have those conversations? I mean, because, you know, we're, we're, we're never in the same places. You know what I mean? Like the citizens are never in the same place with the officers. So where do those conversations happen? Those, those conversations happen anywhere. Those conversations can happen at town meetings. Those, those conversations can happen on a street corner. Those conversations can happen while the officer is picking up lunch. Those conversations can happen just on a, a neighborhood uh, walk. Mm. Those conversations can happen when uh, uh, an irate uh, woman comes in and she's having a problem with her boyfriend. That conversation can happen right there. That conversation can happen at any time, at any place. And it should happen at any time, in any place. Whether it's 12 in the afternoon or 12 midnight, the conversation should continue. Got you. And and if a, if a civilian feels as though their 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 rights are being um, abused, what should they do? Who should they contact? Who do they go to? Internal affairs. Internal, internal affairs. affairs. Yes. Internal and, affairs. And, and how do they reach out to internal affairs? Internal affairs. You can either get the number off the uh, any every every department site has a number for internal affairs. And even if in our department, there's a number right there as soon as you walk in to eternal affairs. And if any police officer says you can't call eternal affairs, you need to get that police officer's name. And then when you contact eternal, eventually contact eternal affairs, make sure you tell that eternal affairs uh, officer that this officer told me not to call you. Gotcha. You see what I mean? So right. those type of things, those, so that will happen again. Right. Right. Do you think um, with, with, with the, the protests and everything that's going on this time, um, anything will change? And if so, yeah. what do you think will change? 
change change will happen. Changes in the department will happen with um, the way that officers engage with any type of civilian or any type of person. Those changes will happen. Where you're, you're going to start seeing more dialogue out on the street, more dialogue in the departments between civilians, between officers, between officers and officers. You'll start seeing more dialogue. You'll start seeing more officers engaging out in the community. And I would use Camden as Camden Police Department as a prime example of how to get out in the community right. and be out there. You know, it's these major cities that and and, and you know, it, it's a, it's an element that officers deal with all the time. OK. And that negative element, you know, it, it's tough to deal with. You know, you we put our life on the line every day. You never know what we might encounter. Right. You know, so there is a way that we have to carry and conduct ourselves without without making sure that we don't harm ourselves or our colleagues, right. our co-workers. We have to go out and make sure. But right now, we have to be out in the community. We have to show the community that we are part of them. We have to show the community that we are part of their village. We have to make sure that they know that we want the village to grow in a positive way. That's how we're going to, that's how we're going to make that's how we're going to make this change. If we can go out and show the community that we are positive and we want the growth of the community, then we, I, I believe that we'll be okay. But that comes with that comes with our leaders. Mm. That comes with our leaders. Gotcha. And those leaders over at the Minneapolis the Police Department, those leaders over at the Los Angeles the Police Department, they need to make sure that everyone, all the departments are on the same page. Right. You right. know, we have to, I believe that we have to do more group thinking as police departments to be involved in, in each other's business. You know, I believe that uh, uh, Bristol, Pennsylvania should know what's happening over in Pemberton, New Jersey. Right. You know, those departments need to know about each other. What are you doing to make sure that things happen right? Well, what are you doing to make sure things happen right? Right. So we all can be on the same page. Some, some best, some best practices need to be put in place. Exactly. And, and, and that doesn't really happen now. It's, it's kind of like everybody's on their own. I believe that it happens, but it's not happening at the level that it needs to happen. Mm. I believe that it needs to go to another level. So this won't happen again. Right. Right. It's going to have to happen at another level. And we're going to have to get not just police departments, but other government factions involved also. Right. Our politicians are going to have to set the standard for the type of policing that they want in this country. For sure. This picture, this picture is way is, is, is humongous. This is a big picture. And we can talk about this. If, if, if we were to go in this direction of uh, in a political direction, you know, we could talk about this for another two or three days, at least. <laughs> yeah. At least. 
when we start talking about politics yeah. and, and what needs to happen. How much does politics affect or govern what uh, uh, govern policing? How, how, how do they intersect with each other, with each other? Or well, impact each from, other? from, from what I, what I believe the, the mayor is the one that, uh, that puts that uh, elects their chief. So I know it's some type of, whether it's a panel or some type of government governing body, you know, that appoints their chief. So they kind of know like who they're putting in there mm. and, and how that person stands, you know? Yeah. I believe the mayor over at Camden is uh, Moran and uh, the the retired chief, uh, Thompson, was there when he was there. And that's how this whole way of Camden life from once I got there, because that's who the chief was, right. was there. You know what I mean? So, and it's still there with uh, Chief Osaki. Right. Was, was it was it was was it always like that? Is it, did it just kind of change with the with the last chief and like even back in the day when Camden was you know what it what it was like you know yeah. murder capital? What yeah. was the policing still that same type of mindset? From what you hear, from from what I hear, it it was different. Okay, it was different. Okay, you know I can imagine it of, probably was because it was a lot. It was a lot more active in the streets. It was yeah, more bumping yeah. heads. There was a lot more things happening then and. You know, Camden was, Camden was, was then what is not now. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Camden right now is, uh, you see a lot of the teaching schools with Cooper and Rowan. And, you know, you see a lot of uh, educational institutions there now. That wasn't Camden back in the day. Right, right. That wasn't Camden back in the day, so. Right, for sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, man. Well, listen, I, I really appreciate it. I, I want to close out. I want to keep you all night, but I, I want to first say thank you for joining me and, um, and, and, and adding value, you know, to the show and, 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 and giving people your perspective. You know, I, I definitely think it's important for us to have dialogue, like you said, um, and, and not just be so assumptive all the time. You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of times we just assume what each other's thinking, what each other's going through. And that could be a recipe for disaster. You know what I'm saying? Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. It was good talking to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm glad to en- enlighten some of the people on some of the things, you know, if I, if I gave someone a little bit, you know, of, of what happens behind the scenes or just a little bit of something, I'm glad I could help, man. For sure. I just want to close out with, with, with one final question. Um, I, I, I always close out my shows with a final thought from my guests, right? Um, so I want you to give um, a final thought from two perspectives and those two perspectives may be, the same for you, or they may be a little bit different. So I want to give you to give a final thought as a police officer, and I want you to give a final thought as a black man. My final thought as a police officer is I'm hoping that my colleagues, my coworkers, my guys on the blue that 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 respect the thin blue line. Think about what has transpired and think about how we can make this better. Don't just give up. Don't just say, oh, this is the way that the community is. Let's, let's have dialogue between us and figure out what we can do better so this doesn't happen again. And my final thought as a black man is I'm hoping that 
my people, my brothers, my sisters, don't let this get them down. That this will be a way, even though we lost a life, that this will be the way that now that we have a platform, that we can go out and speak stronger now. That now that we have this platform, that people can see us and let's talk. Let's talk like we have some intelligence. Let's talk like we have, like we want something more, not just for ourselves, but more for humanity. That's what I'm hoping. And as a black man, I hope we come up. I want to come up. For sure, for sure. Dre, thank you very much for joining me today, man. I appreciate your time, brother. It was good okay. talking to you, reconnecting with you. That's you right, man. Time. And we definitely right. got to get together and, and, and continue this, man, and do some more things in the community, man, like we, like we used to do, for sure. That's right. That's right. That's right. All right, my good brother. Thank to you, man. You too, man. Thank you so much for joining me. Hustle fam, we out. If you like what you heard, it's only going to get better. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a comment. Let us know what you want to learn or hear more about. Till next time, love is love, truck and hustle.